Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. Guys, we got a special one for you guys today. But before we jump in, um, I want to tell you a little bit about Anytime Soccer Training. It's the only training platform that has over 1,000 training videos and over 101 fun soccer games. And what makes the program unique is that all the content is, is 100% follow along. And we're adding so much stuff behind the scenes. I'm so excited. We just added the reward system. We're adding more content. Soon we're adding the playlist so you can select the videos that you want to share with your friends to, hey, or your team to, hey, do these particular videos. And then finally, we're going to add the team portal. We're adding reporting. We're adding so much. But it starts with content. So check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about what we're doing. It's free to join. Join the mailing list, and we'll send you more content like this. Now, on to the show. Now, many of you know that the motivation behind the Inside Scoop was the fact that I lived in London for about 11 years. My boys are actually born there. My wife is, is British by way of Ethiopia. And so when I moved to the States, I always wondered <laughs> what it would be like. And I'm laughing because it's sort of like, I'm laughing because I'm like, I always wondered what it would be like if my ch children played for Manchester United, but that's dad's dream, not theirs. But I did wonder, boy, what would happen if my boys stayed in London? What would, what would soccer, what would their soccer life be like, right? And when I looked for this information, most of the information are coaches and club directors talking to themselves, advancing the profession of coaching. That's important. But I wanted content of, of for the parent that is like, listen, I'm moving out there. What should I expect? And I have brought the perfect guest on to help us marry the two. Coach Alex Nichols, right? I want to make sure I get it right. That's correct. Okay. Story background in academy football. He will explain what uh, he will share with you guys some of his background. He's currently working as a youth academy coach with, with the Arsenal. My boys are going to hear this. They're, we're big Manchester United fans. They're not going to listen to this interview after I've said that. <laughs> but he will tell you a little bit about that experience. But I was telling him, and, 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 I was, and we were talking before the interview, that believe it or not, you know, there's a famous book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And the, and the author said, people care more about the zit on their nose than they do about poverty in China. So while we care, you know, we love the fact that you work at Academy, we want to know what would it be like if our child were in London and what pathways would they have available? Now, we've been doing this show for a long time, so I'm not going to go into all the path, various pathways of the states. And you are relatively familiar with how the states work. I will interject sometimes for clarification, but we're going to go straight after you introduce yourself. We're going to go straight into um, what, uh, you know, the pathways that are available in London. Mm -hmm. So uh, my name is Alex Nichols. Uh, I'm a UEFA A licensed coach and advanced youth award coach. I um, am a qualified teacher um, with the PGCE. Um, I am a technical 
expert, um, obviously currently working at Arsenal Football Club, um, currently with the under 16s. And before that, I was working at Brentford Football Club for four years, um, working with everything from six all the way up to under 12s. And then followed by that, I was the under 15s coach for 18 months at Watford. And for the last six years, I've been working at Arsenal Football Club. Okay, great, great. And everything you said, there's so much to unpack there. They're all like mini interviews. We may do like 10 minute interviews at once a month. You wait for a license, technical uh, expert, Brentford. Like there's so much to unpack. We don't have time. And we're going to try to keep this to 30 minutes. For sure. But let me explain to the guests the impetus of this particular show. I met Alex through a friend, coaching friend, network of mine, because Alex, you're going to be doing a, a soccer camp here or the various soccer camps here in the Charlotte area. And then we're going to try to get you to the triangle as well, uh, because why not? And we already had the facilities. We already have everything set up for you. So we're going to try to do that as well. That's my public promise to you. Thank you. And so the whole conversation became, because I'm friends with kids that you work with, and they're like, man, things are different. You got to reach out to this guy. Things are different. And the whole conversation became, that's exactly what I wanted to learn. What are you doing differently? What are your perceptions? So tell us really quickly about your camp and then we're going to go straight into the interview. Sure. So the camp is from, so the two weeks is in June. It says there's the middle two weeks of June. It's from the 13th to the, um, to the 17th. That's week one. Week two is on the 20th to the 24th of June. Um, both weeks cater for a variety of age groups. Uh, it's three hours each day. The first three hours are for 2013 to 2010s. And the second three hours on each day is for 2009, all the way up to 2006s. Um, okay. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you, you, that's, that's pretty much everything covered. And we're going to put all of this in the show notes as well. And folks who will be able to reach out to Alex personally, they can reach out to me and I can get you in contact with Alex. We're, he's going to be in Charlotte. Um, he also does online training. And if you, if he's in Charlotte already on the same time zone and you maybe want to patch to him online, it may be a little bit easier. We, we just want to help you. Okay. So don't worry. We're going to put all the information in the show notes. We're also going to do a blog post about the camp. Um, we're going to do a lot. And then Alex, I may invite you on to interview with a coach here in, in the triangle. So you guys can kind of talk about soccer philosophy and get into all the, the wonky stuff. But putting all that aside, let's jump into it. Now, I've done this show quite some time, and I've interviewed folks from the UK. Normally, I, I start off with the big picture, but we have a basic understanding, and I want you to interject uh, uh, where I'm off because I want to accelerate this because I do have a couple of questions. So we know in the UK they have grassroots football, mm -hmm. mommy and daddy coaching mainly. Correct. No one, Most people are not being paid. It's a football community-based, normally community-based clubs. Am I missing anything? No. And grassroots football can go from as low as you, you baby all the way up to adult. They have adult grassroots teams, right? Predominantly, you're looking for from under sevens upwards, but you will find some under six type tournaments, yes. Uh, okay. That's football. grassroots football. And we're not going to go into the weeds of grassroots football yet. Then on the other end of the spectrum, we have academy football. Correct paid coaches yeah professional environment correct scouting apparatus what folks are used to seeing correct so i had a question though about high level grassroots football 
what is um junior premier league mm-hmm. like is that considered grassroots so that would still be considered grassroots here in the U- in the uk and um, the jpl is a well-renowned league whereby by and large not every great every, not every good team but lots of good teams do play within that division um it's a way of bringing a a, a a slightly more professionalized um, environment for players who aren't in the academy system. And it allows them to, the players to play against each other, people that take it a little bit more seriously, people that want more regular training of a slightly higher standard for, um, and, and so on and so forth. So let me tell you why I'm asking this question. Cause we're going to work backwards. Cause remember most people who have been following us and guys, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about in terms of the UK, I'm going to put the interview I did with, uh, Remy Dijon you may even know him Remy Dijon who coaches at uh, Manchester now we kind of went over a lot of the details and I've interviewed a few people in the in the UK the reason I'm asking that is because when we start talking about comparing pay to play in the states which is a market-based system that has many pros and many cons versus uh I guess non-pay to play uh pro real in the UK system one of the questions I always have is well in the U.S., you can receive, and I don't want to get into the weeds of relative comparisons of like the U.K. and the U.S., but you can receive, I'm using my air quotes for folks listening, academy-level training, academy-level hours, and I'm using my air quotes. I don't mean literally academy. I mean relative to the academies in the States. Contact hours, and I'm using a lot of air quotes. <laughs> for an average kid, as long as you pay. So my kid is average. I give people money. They're going to get three or four days of training, playing all these tournaments, blah, blah. Okay. That's pay to play. The, obviously the downside is it's going to exclude people who can't. But what I struggle to understand is in the UK, let's say I have an average level kid but me as a parent, for whatever reason, I want them to get what I perceive they would be getting if they were in Arsenal. So they would be getting you as the coach, basically. And they would be getting the structure and they would be playing against other teams, sort of like the JPL, but they're average. They can't, they're just average kid. And let's say they're 10. What, are, what happens? So by and large, what we have now out of grassroots football, and just, just so I'm clear, grassroots football, people would still pay. They would pay subs around about a 150, 200 pound registration fee uh, in the base of grassroots football. Given your current question, um, we've now had the emergence of clubs who are starting to play, like as I said, in the JPL. Now, what those clubs do very often, they would have potentially two training sessions a week and a game. So that would be their JPL game and then two training sessions a week. Now, some, some slightly larger clubs may have two training sessions a week, a JPL game, and then also have a, another team which also plays in, the, in grassroots football. Now, given the situation that you just said, a 10 Now, hold on. I'm going to ask you to say that a lot slower, though, okay? Because you, you're talking <laughs> to dumb Americans. So they could, they could do a JPL at, even at 10 years old. Um, JPL, um, please don't quote me on this because I... Uh, I believe the JPL may start at under 12 or under 10. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Okay, let's just say they qualify for the age. Yeah. They can, they're going to get two training sessions per week, 
they could. That's conceivable. Yeah. And is that coach going to be paid? That coach is likely to be paid, yes. So how who is funding that coach's salary? So these clubs that often are in the JPLs now um, are charging a higher rate now than what the conventional grassroots clubs would for players that just like what you call rec players. Um, they're charging a higher amount. They, they may pay, the parents may pay a registration fee and maybe a monthly subscription of 100, uh, sometimes 50 pound a month, 100 pound a month, sometimes 150, sometimes beyond. Um, but that's on a very small scale compared to what you have on, in the US. But that is a, an emerging kind of trend that's happening in London and, in, and around the country. Yeah, so let me say a couple of things there. So what I'll try to explain that doesn't come off well in Facebook is if we have a pie chart, like, you know, in the UK, they're going to have quote unquote pay to play, but it's such a small, <laughs> it's such a small sliver of the entire pie that is not even noticeable. And it sounds like you're saying that's growing, but now on the other end of the spectrum in the US, we have pay to play, but that's such a large portion of the pie. People think that's the only thing that exists. Yeah. So it's, so it's weird. Okay. But then all right, so let's assume for the sake of argument. Oh, oh, sorry, you because you, you did make another point. I do JPL, I got two practices a week in a game yes. and a paid coach. Yes. Is that coach going to be licensed, licensed up like you? No, 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 no. So they would be, and, I, and obviously I'm generalizing here, and there'll always be exceptions to the rule, but in, in, the, in the most part, they're likely to be a level two. If you're very lucky, you're likely to have a UEFA B licensed coach. Um, even at some of these pay to these pay to play clubs, um, where at the uh, in the J, in the JPL and so on and so forth, the coaches um, will that will be still be a part time job, but just a, an additional. It won't be their full time job. Is a coach. Um, they may be a school teacher. They may be an assistant teacher in in school and teach PE lessons, and then also work at this uh, a, a grassroots club. For example, they may have a job that's not even linked to sport. Okay, so I'm an alpha parent. I'm looking at the kid that's in Arsenal, the same kid as my age, and I and I believe because one thing that's a little I find different because I lived in the UK a long time, and these are generalizations. American parents seem to have more of the perception of if I get my kid in the right environment, they can develop into a great player. European parents, at least in London, from my perspective, if my child is playing football, some scout comes into my door and tells me, you got something here. And then the parent says, oh, really? So it's almost like a lot less intentionality, but that that's a generalization. That's and that's changing. And that's changing. That's changing. Okay. okay. So my child, I'm American. I'm alpha. My child is getting two years two practices a week how many practices is the arsenal kid at u12 getting yeah so generally speaking any any player in the u12 at a cat one club would uh would train four times a week they'd usually do three training sessions and on one of those training sessions um it would be a double they may be it may do day release um so it would be one afternoon training session one evening training session and then two more evening training sessions and then there would be a game at the end of that. So four training sessions, two on the same day, um, and then a game. So four in total and a game. That's what would happen at most Cat One clubs. And if you had to do the math really quickly, how many hours of formal, we're not even getting into the, the private, how many hours of formal training per week are they on the pitch? 
Um, you'd be looking at an hour and a half times, an hour and a half for each session as in a rough ballpark. Um, so, yeah, so so you said four, then six, then the game is another seven. Yeah, and that's before you get into any individual stuff. Yeah, so that and and that's and listen, that will vary from club to club. Some clubs will train for two hours. Some clubs will, if I say an hour and a half, maybe half an hour of it or twenty minutes of it might be sports science before they actually get the balls out and so on and so forth. So there's lots of variations within that, um, but that would be the rough estimate. So you and also our games are eighty minutes long, um, even at even at under seven, under eight, and and beyond. Um, they're eighty minutes long, and generally speaking, it's four quarters. That they play um so some players may play 60 minutes some players may play 70 minutes if you're a u11 you may play 70 minutes you may even play 80 minutes on that for that match day yeah and let me go ahead and, and qualify all of this so we talk here uh in specifics and generalizations so one of the reasons i create this podcast is because sometimes i listen to these podcasts and i'm trying to get the teeth of stuff and the person is always it depends it depends and so we're not holding your head to the fire. We know these are gross generalizations. Yeah. But what I'm basically saying is, okay, I'm an alpha parent. I mm-hmm. think my kid is good. They're getting two days of training from a PE teacher who's also a coach and very committed, and they're playing a game in the JPL. But I want them to get what I perceive they would be getting at Arsenal. So now so, what am I going to do? So then, so then you come to somebody like myself who's got 11 years of academy football um, experience, 11 years straight, um, working at Cat 2 and Cat 1 clubs, um, working um, working with some of the best players, um, international youth footballers and so on, players that have gone on to have careers in the game and become pros. Um, and people like myself are accessible. However, there's a massive asterisk with that. The, the one-to-one market and the additional session market is developing but the coaching standard is not of a high level. So they are so they are promoted as, and this is a big issue at the moment, that a lot of the, the, a lot of the coaches are promoting sessions as elite sessions. The they are have their sometimes coaching elite players, but the quality of the detail does not add value to the players. And so really and truly it becomes about then if you if you're in a JPL and like you say you're the other parent and so on and you want an additional training, it's about finding the right person. The person that knows the journey, can articulate themselves, can share and, and provide a holistic development, um, development program or development session, which takes into account where your son or daughter may be at now and where they could be, but then also has an understanding of what the system is like in the building. Yeah, okay. And I get it because we have that issue as well. So it gets into, and, and this, uh, this happens across any spectrum of any industry. You want un- deregulation in terms of freedom of people to move and do things and enterprise. But with that becomes no standard, no controls. Mm-hmm. So just like you said, Cat One Academy, where it's probably no Cat One individual trainer, right? So per se, and that's a huge per se, but you get my point. My point is there's no standardization across, you know, what you're going to get in the marketplace. But let's assume for the sake of argument, I say as a parent, I know I get that, but I actually want four days of team training. I'm only getting two, but I want four. Do I then double up with another grassroots club? You can do, you can do. But then if you're, then you then have an issue. So if you want four days of team training, 
you would then have to. You and remember have, the big picture. I'm trying to replicate what I'm getting, what you're getting at Arsenal. So then you'd have to join another club. So if you want four days of team training, you'd have to find another club. The challenge that you didn't have is that if you wanted it to be a high level club, you'd, they would have to play not in the JPL, for example, they'd have to play in another division, probably a top division in a different league. Okay. And that makes so sense. So now we just played on the Saturday and then one will be played on the Sunday. Yeah. And we're just doing the blocking and tackling right now because one, so let me just recalibrate in the States. My son happens to train at a very, what I consider to be, I'll send you video. You can let me know what <laughs> I consider to be a very good club. Okay. I pay them. Yes. So four days of training, three to four days of training, all these games, possession, blah, 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 the uniforms, the two kits, international coach, co you know, whatever. Okay. Club director, small club, but I pay them. And so what I am trying to say is how would I recreate that experience in the UK if my son didn't make an academy? So mm -hmm. now you've answered that. And that was, that's something. So, so, all right. All right. Now I'm getting my thoughts together because that's JPL. I'm just getting my thoughts together. This is the same. The JPL is not the only way. The, the JPL is not the only way to play for a good team. We have other leagues like the EJA. We have other leagues like local, like an East London League. We have a Northwest London League, um, um, which also have very, very good players in it. Not every top club plays in the JPL. It's just an example. Okay, that makes sense. Because the next nuance point I make when we try to compare US soccer, uh, youth soccer to the UK is, if you can picture this, we have rec, which we would, which would be comparable to grassroots. But the issue that we have in the States is all the kids who have any talent and desire at all, their parents, present company included, pull them out of the rec system. So our rec is, is really, really low. And I don't mean that, like, I'm not talking about kids. I just mean like kids who are going to play every once in a while. And I always make the argument, if we kept all our kids in the rec system, <laughs> the rec system would look like our club system. That's one of our problems. It's very nuanced, but that's one of our problems. You get what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. Like if my son played in the rec, it would feel like club. If all the kids that were like my son played in rec, it would feel like club. But would, Leaving given, but would it feel like that given the amount of money you pay in terms of the um the things that you expect from by paying in terms of the quality of the facilities the two kits the quality of the coaching most importantly um changing rooms quality of the pitch etc etc so now you come to a very good point extremely good point no you cannot get all of that and be in a wreck environment mm -hmm. which then brings me to the next thing because i always talk abstractly with american parents online my hypothesis, but I don't know this for a fact, but here's my hypothesis, is what an American parent would experience in a grassroots environment may not, and I got so many air quotes, if you saw it, I'm squinching because I don't know, may not meet the expectations that they have if they've been in one of these quote unquote pay for play clubs 
not from a developmentally soccer perspective, but from a cultural perspective. So in other words, me and you can go to the same university. I mean, sorry, we can take the same university courses. You can get better teaching, but I'm in a facility that I'm in a school that has a nice yard, nice courtyard, nice gym, you know, kid, kids are wearing proper uniforms, give you study abroad opportunities. You, on the other hand, um, you just learning the information. No yeah. bells and whistles. Now yeah. you, you and I, are, if anything, you, probably, you may be um, more of a, it may be a better academic situation. Mm-hmm. And so that's my hypothesis. My hypothesis is if I put my son in a rec environment, even if all the other kids who are currently in club are in a rec environment, I'm still going to be the coach. And that like as a dad, and I'm going to have to try to learn all this stuff to try to coach them. Yeah. And so they're going to miss out on that. But where they would gain is obviously it wouldn't cost as much money. It would be more accessible to everybody and they will be playing against, they still will be playing against stiff competition. So fast forward to the UK, and I'm, I'm totally speculating. Because you're coming from a footballing nation, mm-hmm. there's a working knowledge that the kids and technical ability the kids even in grassroots are going to have. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Huh? Do you mean by the coaches? No, no. I mean by the kids playing. Well, we, it's, it's our national sport, and that's the big difference. And that is a massive difference. It is our national sport. And we are a small island. So we are used to playing, play, we live in smaller spaces than you guys do in the US. We operate in smaller spaces. Our roads are smaller. Everything is smaller here. So, and we are 8 million people of football, football crazy fans. So that, that plays a significant difference. However, however, the technical level of grassroots players will by default be higher because we have a much wider base and foundation of numbers playing the sport, as opposed to the you guys in the US who have massive amounts of distance to cover to play competitive games and p- other people playing baseball, um, NFL, like um, American football, etc., basketball, etc., etc. So that's a massive issue. Now, what, to go back to your point about if you went, if everyone played rec and you guys, and then the same players played against each other, that's great. But that doesn't mean that those players would ever get to a level where they could become a pro. If that, if that's, if that is the aim or the ambition of the child. So if the child wants to be play at the highest level and really wants to compete, you need to have quality coaching and a quality philosophy that, that sets and defines the environment that the children play in. You should, sac- you should be willing to sacrifice the quality of players that your son or daughter may play with it, to a certain degree, within reason, in favor of the coaching, delivery, quality, standard, and detail. So listen, you're a brother from a different mother. I've been preaching this, but because I'm a crazy soccer dad, never never touched a soccer ball. When I say that, people always try to explain to me why, you know, level of competition at 10 is so important. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> I could play against LeBron James all my life. That ain't going to do nothing. Yes. I need to I need to be trained with LeBron James's trainer and I need to do what he's doing Monday through Friday. But hey, I'm old school. <laughs> You're a man okay. of my own heart. That what you just said there, that is it. That is it. Because everybody wants to play with the best players, and that's great. Playing with great players, it's great, it can be inspiring, it can challenge. But like you say, 
if you're not in an environment with, with a coach that can help you get there, you've got no chance. Yeah, see, and you just said it. You, you want to count it. I always tell the kids I train. What does it take to motivate you? Do I need to be standing in your, in your face? Is that what motivates you? Are you motivated by me doing something else and letting you get on? Are you motivated by seeing someone twice as good as you? I want to put you in an environment that motivates you, but let's be real clear about what development, what it takes to develop. And that's you working on your craft, you against you. And mm -hmm. then we test with other kids to see in, in where you're at and you get inspired. And then, and then obviously as you get older, it's time to execute, it's time to win and blah, blah, blah. But right. one of the biggest misconceptions I have with folks in the States You <laughs> playing 60 minutes with my, I'm using my own boys, with my sons, mm -hmm. <laughs> and you haven't been working on your game, and you the same age as them, you just a moving cone. You just a moving cone. You just an obstacle for them. <sighs> you got to work on your craft. And, so, and, and, this is, and this is the bit where I think, where I think, it can be lost. And, and, and we, have a, we have an issue here, just on the back of that. You have an issue here in the UK where people want to train with, the, with, with good players. I get that 100%, but within reason. And I, as I said, the coaching, the coaching detail and quality is, is paramount. The problem is then is that I think sometimes parents um, are on both sides of the pond don't place especially for the high achieving players at that time that's not to say at 12 they're going to be pros or they're going to be the one that has the best chance but the high achieving players you have to be careful where you take your son or daughter because if you end up taking them to a coach and this is the best players they've ever coached they've never seen anything higher they don't know how to stretch how to challenge your 12 14 16 year old if they don't know how to stretch and challenge that player then actually the, the player is more elite or advanced than the coaches at their craft. And then you have a problem as a parent because that's how people start to stagnate. Yeah, and I worry about that as well. Again, I'm talking about my own boys, not because they're all that, but because I do work with them. And I do worry about that in terms of, are they being pushed? What motivates them? And I always joke with my older son, hey, dad can't take you, but so far. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of it goes come down to him. All right, so we at the 30 minute mark. I told you it's gonna be 30 minutes. So I'm gonna reel off a couple more quick questions then we're gonna go. Okay, so let's talk about the highest JPL team at the youngest age that you can think of, can they compete with an academy team, broadly speaking, at yes. those younger ages? Yes. Okay. Are there people who say, I'm good. I like my J, you know, Arsenal might be an extreme example. Pick another academy that's maybe not Arsenal, something not so extreme. I come to you, there's an opportunity for me to train, uh, go to this academy. And the parents say, I'm good. I like my JPL club. I like the schedule. I like everything. And they're getting good training. Is there people, are there people like that? Or is it a complete and utter no-brainer to go to the academy? Massive, massive shift in the last three to four years on this. If you'd asked me this question three or four years ago, I would have been saying, yep, they would go to the academy. Now there's a trend. And I have clients who, who obviously I coach privately, who are walking out of the system walking out at, at good clubs, at big clubs, because they, they don't feel that the development is there and 
or they're not happy with the coaching program. And there are also some who, I have many clients who are invited into the academy system and they say, thank you, but no thank you. We don't feel that the level of detail and the, the, um, the quality of the program um, will develop my son to where he needs to be or my daughter where she needs to be. Wow, that's interesting. So, because another thing we have in, across the pond is we look at everything in the UK as just being, or in Europe, just being perfect. And I'm trying to explain to people that humans are humans. It's far from it. <laughs> okay, so we reeling these off. Another thing, I'm a deliberate practice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll see you some of my podcasts. I'm a deliberate practice guy. I'm going to ask you the dumbest question in the world because I grew up in an environment where people were really good in basketball. I grew up in North Carolina and I know they didn't sit out all day and dribble the ball with their right hand a hundred times, dribble the ball with their left hand a hundred times. They just played. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you the dumbest question in the world, but I cannot picture a kid becoming masterful on the ball, masterful without a parent or a coach or a trainer for all practical purposes forcing them to do some level of deliberate practice. I can't picture it. You understand what I'm trying to say? Of course. So when you say deliberate practice, do you mean in terms of on their own time or you talking about with a one-to-one coach? With a one-to-one. You're going to be out there in the, in the yard with me, either one-to-one coach <laughs> or a parent, and you're going to do inside or outside with your left foot until you get it. So That's what I'm talking about. You always get anomalies. And, and like we said, we're massively generalizing, but very often the players that you see go, go on to the, that play in the Premier League that have come through the academy system. We've got a lot of them now and our system is definitely working. The, the English academy system is, is, is better now than what it's ever been. I've always maintained that. Um, not to say it's perfect, it's far from it, but it's improving. Um, and it's be- definitely better than what it's ever been. When we're producing high level technical players, a lot of it, the culture now is that lots of players do extra. I would say comfortably 80% of players in the academy system, whether that be at category three clubs, um, teams three or four divisions from the Premier League, or top cat one clubs, uh, players from clubs that play in the Champions League, um, are doing an additional session of deliberate practice. Now, that additional session of deliberate practice um, can refine, develop, and, and add, providing it's delivered with appropriate detail to stretch them. Now, you will always have anomalies who may have, and examples of players who may be at a fantastic technical level who have a, who have a base um, or foundation of skills not developed by deliberate practice and going out to practice on a one-to-one basis. You always have ones that have just grown up playing in the street. There are plenty of examples of that. So let me unpack that because I want to be really clear. So there's a couple of things I want to qualify. We know the different components that within the game that's going to determine if someone, quote unquote, makes it or is really good, right? Technical ability is one small component of it. It's an mm-hmm. important one, but it's only it's one component. From your experience, does someone pop out to you that says, man, this eight-year-old can move? No, let's not say eight. Let's say this, this 10-year-old can move with the ball so fluid. And I know their parents ain't even thought about messing around with them with soccer or um they haven't had any coaching they just they just you've seen that yes yeah i've seen that i've seen that now obviously they're still learning to go but i've definitely seen that and then you have compared them to someone who has an alpha parent like me who is working with their kid or they hiring someone to work with their kid at least once a week and you you've seen that other kid who 
not at the at the level of an arsenal come in and just can do stuff and everybody's like wow not somebody that's coming at, at a big cat one club not somebody who's come out of uh who doesn't play soccer at all and then or maybe plays once a week no that, no no i mean i'm trying to get at at, but at a big cat one club have you seen i'm comparing two kids the one that's engaged in deliberate practice and the one who is not yeah i'm trying to get at the you know the bell curve here's well here's how i think about it there's a bell curve we know there's a certain percentage of people i don't care how much you work with them their ceiling is they just it is what it is then there's the majority of us if i spend 10 hours doing something i'm gonna be really good and then there's another small percentages and that's where i'm trying to understand and unpack of those people who just are born to do this mm-hmm. And I'm asking you, have you seen someone who is part of the majority of Bell Curve, who is working hard, getting private training, blah, 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 blah. Have you seen someone who is born to do this, who is not doing all that and be just as technical? Not good in soccer, but technical. Not necessarily, not technical in an isolated, in an isolated way, but technically effective within game. At, at 10. When you get to 14 and 15 and 16, that's where the hours start to pay off. Man, I got to let you go. Unpack that, though. Unpack the hours paying off when you get to 14 and to so, 16. So if players, nat- you'll say, say naturally have, a, have an affinity to move with the ball smoothly and, and effectively, they, I've seen players go, go on to have careers in the game like that. Now, if you compare that to the player that's doing the deliberate practice, that, that is that will over time over a sustained period with con- with with consistent messages that will continue to give that player not an edge necessarily over the other player not necessarily an edge but it will give them a consistent foundation and footing because the player that maybe isn't doing deliberate practice from a holistic perspective of, of everything that you can practice from a technical perspective there will be holes there will be there are likely to be holes in that in that level of execution. Maybe that's playing with off their non-dominant foot with the outside of their foot. They may not do that well, but they may do lots of other things well. So if you're trying to build the broad spectrum and the broad broad um, foundation for a player engaging deliberate practice, deliberate practice has to be varied and it has to be, has to cover the full spectrum. Okay. So final three questions we've done. The first question is, do the kids in the UK, especially at these academies, play other formal sports? Play other sports formally. But, Not PE class. I'm going to basketball practice. By and large, no. Um, and if they do, it may be once a week. It may be swimming. They may do a, a, a session of some kind of martial arts or something, something along those lines. But it's very hard to then play another form, another sport, two or three times a week on top of when you're a signed academy player, especially at a Cat 2 or Cat 1 club. So you're a Cat 2 1 club player at 10 years old. Are you able to go to the coach and say, hey, I can't make Wednesdays because I'm doing um, netball? Some clubs can be, um, some clubs can be are open to it, especially in the younger age groups. Some clubs, and it varies from club to club. Is, is that their discretion? Some clubs <laughs> would strongly discourage it because obviously in such a high level environment, missing out on, on an extra session is very challenging. Because you can get cut at the end of the year, right? It varies. So there's retaining in, in the academy system, 
Uh, under end of under nine season, you can get re retained or released. Same for the end of tens, same for the end of elevens, and same for the end of twelve. So it's a each year. When you get into the what we call the youth development phase, under thirteen and fourteen, it's two years. Two years. And then at fifteen and sixteen, again, it's two years. Okay, and we can. I might email you as well and get some more stuff in writing. All right, parent interaction. Are the parents of the club kids that you coach, U16s, whatever, are they able to email you? Hey, coach, I saw this yesterday. I didn't think about it. How 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 much access do the parents have to you? How much access the parents have? I, I can I can answer that in general. Yes. So the on a on a general level, um, academy parents in this country can at under sixteen at the older age groups are able to send emails, have phone calls, and obviously this always varies from club to club. Um. But generally speaking, parents are able to email if they have questions, if they have concerns. And it, I think it's widely accepted that nurturing that parent-coach-athlete relationship is paramount. And even at 16 or even at 18, they are still children. And some clubs, some clubs uh, take that aspect more seriously than others, but it, it's, it's, a key, it's a key issue. All right, last question. We're talking, we can say Arsenal, any Cat 1 club or Cat 2 for the purposes of this. How many kids are they tip teams are they typically carrying? So, you know, U9, U10, U11, how many teams are we talking? Is it one per age group, two, one in a uh, development so, center? Sometimes it, it varies from uh, club to club and their ethos. Some clubs, especially at the younger age groups, some clubs may only sign seven or eight boys um, on a on a gen generic level, you'd most most clubs would sign enough players to have to be able to play two 77 matches. So at least two goalkeepers, um, sometimes three, sometimes even four. Um, this is that U9, 10, 11, and 12. Um, and then they might have 15, 16 outfield players uh, to fulfill the um the quota of 77 matches and and then 9v9. Um, some some clubs may have a specific year group where they feel they haven't, they don't want to carry large numbers. They want to have a very specific and condensed group. And then in which case they are, they choose to have a slightly smaller group. So if we both, and if we're talking big picture, there's nothing like the Americans system where you might have 15 club teams per age group for the academies <laughs> at different levels. No, no, so so in academy football, we'd have um, our the main academy group, and then you'd have a some clubs call them shadow groups, some clubs call them development groups. But that development group doesn't always necessarily always play a, a match every week. They may play a match against the signed boys every three weeks or four weeks, um, and but they're not even guaranteed to play any matches. The, the development group sometimes they'll come in and they'll train once or sometimes sometimes twice, but mainly once a week. So there's no, there's no academy that, that carries 50 teams. There's no grassroots team that carries 50 teams. Um, from what I hear about you guys in the States with 10,000 boys and girls in a club, that, that does, at any level, academy, uh, grassroots football, that just doesn't happen. Listen, I'll leave you with this. If you're in the Alex, if, <laughs> if you are in the States of, uh, you probably buy. You probably be living in a mansion. What? Because what, what? What the reviews that you're already getting, and the demand for youth soccer training in our in our country, and the size of our clubs, you wouldn't even make it through. Our club has seven. Not my son's club, but the, our neighboring club, the larger one, 
has between 15 to 17,000 participants. That's a broad term because that's a lot. It's wrecked, but everybody's, but I'm just saying, what email there? Your whole calendar is booked. <laughs> yeah, goodness but me. The country, the country is massive, though. So it's just a different culture. Hey, man, I'm respectful of your time. We got to do this. We might, we might circle back right before you get to Charlotte with a few more questions. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, package just uh i'm gonna throw it on the podcast this weekend i'm actually heading to charlotte for some games brilliant and um, i'm gonna drop a little short interview in the facebook group and i'm really going to encourage because one of the reasons i started the program that i did anytime the company is i wanted parents to get actionable information not all this fluff actual actual um sorry um actionable so in this particular case if you want someone who has been there, done that, has seen hundreds, if not thousands of youth players Indeed. who I am going to vouch, who I'm vouching for personally, and also is working with a personal friend of mine's kid who loves it, then if you're on the East Coast, get to Charlotte, at least in a worst case scenario, your kid is inspired by somebody with a British accent. You can't go in here, you can't go wrong from there. <laughs> But the best case scenario is they leave with some information and knowledge that they can use in their games. They have a relationship with other kids. My kids will be there. And they are inspired and they know what the level is. Agreed. Agreed. My, I have a buddy. I have, the East Coast, okay. by the way. That's, we've, got, we've got players from Georgia coming. We've got players further up the East Coast from New York coming. So we're, we're, we're stretching it further afield. We've got players from Kansas coming. So we've got, a, we've got a wide variety of players from all different areas of the US. I'll end with this story. Uh, uh, one of my son's teammates, he's three years older, so he's in a different team, but we're in the same club. I give him a ride back and forth to practice, and we all talk. And he joined our club after going to a summer camp in one of these Barcelona type summer camps. I'm not, um, I don't know much about it. It's one of those ones in Arizona. I'm not promoting that. That's not the point of this. What I'm saying is his eyes was open. His eyes were opened up. His mother's eyes were, were opened up. He had been, this, this young man is 15 years old and all his life, soccer life, he had been told how good he was couldn't keep the ball for two seconds in this environment. And he was old enough to say, wow, something is not right. Everybody at home is telling me how good I am. I'm on the go, blah, blah, blah. And I get here and I can't even keep the ball. And the session is so intense. Mm -hmm. And because of that, his mom is my neighbor. She asked me, like, I don't know anything. Where, what would you do? And I said, well, come check out this club. And she happens to like the club that we're at now. But what I'm saying is knowledge is power. That's not a cliche. And so I, I can't wait, man. I can't wait to get down there. And uh, so my boys can see sort of where they at. And, and that's another problem we have in the States because of our system. No, no criticism. But kids are never told that's not good enough in a developmentally appropriate way. Of course, yeah. Then, then you have an entire generation of players. Uh, I'm generalizing. I'm generalizing. But if I'm paying you big money, you have an entire generation of players who someone's not coming to them with love, saying that's not good enough. But if you follow this plan, this is how we're going to get there. 
You can see I'm passionate about it, Alex. Oh, of course. Guys, this has been Inside Scoop. I've been with Alex Nichols. He's an academy uh, coach at, uh, at Arsenal. He's been with Brentford. He's been all over um, the world. Now he's coming to Charlotte. I really want you guys to support what he's trying to do. I want you to listen to this podcast. Definitely support what I'm trying to do. This has been a wonderful, wonderful interview. Alex, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Neil. Look forward to seeing you in Charlotte. All right.